And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love Luke 12. I love it. I love it so much. That's why... It's the second time in a year that I'm preaching this message. I love Luke 12, guys. And, and if you're anything like me and worry, fear, anxiety plagues you on a monthly, if not weekly basis, then maybe you can understand why I love this passage so much. Yeah, usually about this time, people's stress levels are climbing. Things are happening. No, by the way, Jesus' disciples aren't a whole lot different. His disciples are not immune from worry. His disciples are not immune from anxiety. His disciples are not immune from fear. They struggle with these things too. They do. It's hard. So what Jesus is going to do throughout this passage is Jesus is going to show his disciples something bigger than their worry, something bigger than their fear, something bigger than their anxiety. That's what he's going to do today. And he's going to begin with a series of arguments in which he's going to argue from the larger thing to the smaller thing. And you'll notice that, but just keep that in the back of your mind as we travel through this passage. Bigger to smaller. He's going to make a series of arguments. And and the first one that he mentions, I think it's in verse 24. Yes, it is. Consider the ravens, right? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor do they reap. They don't, they don't sow, they don't reap. They have neither storehouse 
nor do they have a barn. So here's the picture here of a farmer sowing and then reaping, planting the seeds, harvesting. And after he harvests, he's got a storehouse and he's got a barn to, to put it in. Some security to have. Some reserves to have. And yet he says, the birds, they don't do that. How stressful that must be. Being a bird. Having no, having no storehouse, having no barn. How stressful that must be for those birds. And yet the birds manage just fine. Totally fine. Totally good. He's got them. He's got the birds. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're more valuable than the birds. I got you too. Yeah. Yeah, that's our God. He's got you too. Well, then he goes on to say this in the very next verse. Verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of Life. In other words, anxiety, fear, worry, stress, they don't do anything. They don't do anything productive. Nothing at all. They can't so much as give you an extra 10 minutes. Like if I stress out really, really, really a lot, I'm really, really anxious, maybe I can add a couple minutes. Nope, that's this point. It doesn't do anything. It's totally pointless. It's totally futile. It doesn't do anything. Anything at all. Or Matt Chandler, as he would say, 20,000 years from now. Imagine that for a second. 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent worrying. 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent stressing out, being afraid, being anxious, I love that quote. 20,000 years from now. 20,000 years from now, we're going to feel pretty silly about all the time we spent worrying. Oh, by the way, if this is true, then look what he says in the very next verse. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, the that referring to adding an extra hour to your span of life, if you can't do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Why? Why? It doesn't bring about anything good. It's not helpful. It doesn't do anything. Pointless. Totally pointless. Like the guy who says to the girl, Hey, you uh, want to get together and hang out with me and some of my buddies? And she says, Oh, I'm so sorry. Tonight's my... my is tonight? Oh yeah, tonight is my uh, my roommate's boyfriend's cousin's sister's birthday party. That's it's pointless, man. She's not interested, right? Pointless. Or another really good one. Uh, hey, you uh, want to get together and hang out? Oh, is that today? Oh, so sorry. My I promised my roommates that I w- that I play video games with them today. Uh huh. Okay. Pointless, right? All these are true stories, by the way. One of, my, one of my favorites is this time that, that after psychology class, I, he proceeded to... 
asked this girl, hey, you want to grab a bite, to me, bite, bite with me at Chick-fil-A? I mean, who doesn't want to go to Chick-fil-A, right, for lunch? And she says, sorry, my grandma, she made me some soup, and I should probably go back to my dorm and finish eating it. <laughs> kind of pointless, pointless. Or one of the best ones was one time this guy was like, hey, that girl over there, she's kind of cute. You think I should maybe, like, you think I got a chance at talking to her? Which girl? That girl. That girl? Probably not. That's my wife, so <laughs> probably not so much. I mean, we laugh, right? Because all those examples are, like, kind of silly, right? That's the point. 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent worrying. You are. It's silly. It's, like, no point, you know? Thinking about those, those, those stories I gave to you. Like, I mean, man, I was getting shot down before I even made it off the runway in some of those instances. Like, no point. No point. Dead end. Not going anywhere. That's what he's saying. Anxiety, fear, worry. No. No point. Doesn't do anything. Can't do anything. And so he continues this series of arguments in the, in, in the next verse. He says, consider, consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Lilies. Lilies. I mean, they don't even have to try. And it's not because it's always a good time. It's just because they're lilies. These beautiful decorations of nature, they make no effort to grow. They've got no part in designing themselves. And yet, they're awesome. Just lilies. They're just lilies. And then he makes the comparison with Solomon. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who Solomon is, I'll get you caught up to speed. I'll read a little description about Solomon from 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4 to 7. This is the comparison. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, no more breath was in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land, of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. The richest, wisest man ever to live, he can't compare with lilies. They're just lilies. Like the birds who neither sow nor reap. There's the lilies. They're not trying to look fly. They just are fly. They're just lilies, and Solomon can't compare. Despite his wealth, despite his power, despite his influence, he can't. And we, so many of us, we obsess all the time about these things. Like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? How am I going to look? What are people going to think about how I look? 
remember one time, I think I was like a senior in high school, maybe. I was getting ready for school. I'd been in front of the mirror for about 20 minutes. Had the hair gel in my hair. Trying to get my hair to do this flip thing. I don't know what it was, just a flip. You'd be surprised how hard it is to get the hair to do the flip for some people. Couldn't get it to do the flip. I remember just freaking out and telling my mom, like, I can't go to school. (laughs) Guys, fear, worry, and anxiety shouldn't paralyze us to that degree. It shouldn't. Sometimes we're so consumed about these things. He says, don't be, right? I know you need to eat. I know you need to have clothes. There's always the guy whose clothes are optional. No, clothes are a good thing. Clothes are always a good thing. Look at the lilies. They're awesome. They're awesome. Certain times of the year, they've got little flowers blooming from them, and they're just, they're terrific, and they make no effort whatsoever to to look that way. They just do. Take care of the lilies. They do just fine. They're less valuable than the birds, which, oh, by the way, I take care of too. They're less valuable than you, so it stands to reason, I got you. I got you. I'll be okay. He goes on. Remember, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser through this to make his point. Verse 28, But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? There's the image, right? Grass being thrown into a fire. In the first century, wood would not always be readily available. So, one thing that was, grass. Just use it as kindling, right? Get the fire started on the oven, cooking something. I mean, it's grass. Pretty insignificant, even in the ancient world. Today, I mean, cows eat grass, right? We we mow the grass. It's just grass. That's it. Nothing more. Just grass. And what does he say? I got the grass. Grass. He takes care of the grass. Of course, he tells them, oh, you have little faith, right? If I take care of the grass, which is less valuable than the lilies, and I take care of the lilies, which are less valuable than the birds, and I take care of the birds, then doesn't it stand to reason that I'm going to take care of you too? That I've got you? Oh, you have little faith. You don't trust me? I got you. But we still struggle sometimes. Still hard sometimes. Second time I've preached this sermon today. Need to hear it twice, I guess. And I do. And his disciples do too. They're not immune to these things. So this is what he says in verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all, all the nations of the world. They seek after these things. They chase after these things. Your Father, He knows that you need them. Instead, instead, seek His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. So here's the challenge. 
Because there is a challenge. The challenge is the world is pulling us in a million different directions. It's saying, find your happiness, find your joy, find your security in everything other than Jesus. You worried about not having food? No problem. Just go get more food. You worried about not having clothing? No problem. Just get more clothing. Or just get the right clothing. You worried about being lonely? No problem. Just go get a relationship. That's what you do. All the nations of the world, they're seeking after these things. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. I know what you need. I know what you need. I got you. Remember, I got the grass, I got the lilies, I got the birds, I got you. Don't buy into this. That's where I love quoting John Piper. He says, how the devil, the devil's mainly about the good things. Now that might come as a surprise to some of you. The devil's mainly about the good things? Oh yeah, oh, hold on a second. Joe, that's, that's kind of out there. You're going to need to explain that for me. Oh, no problem. I'll explain that for you. He says, the devil's mainly about the good things. Why? Oh, because he's so crafty and deceptive. Why? Because you can see the bad things a mile away. There's a storm. There's a terrorist. There's, there's something bad happening. It's so obvious. No, he says, the devil's mainly about the good things to distract you and keep you from the best thing. If the devil can eat your faith by giving you or taking away a relationship from you, he'll do that. If the devil can get at your faith by giving you that job or that money, he'll do it. He's mainly about the good things to keep you from the best thing. And all the world is seeking after these things. They're all chasing after these things, trying to find their happiness, their joy, their security, right? That's how it goes. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm worried about this. Okay, well, get that. Acquire that. Chase after that. Pursue that. That's their cure. That's their antidote to worry, fear, and anxiety. It's not Jesus's. Not by a long shot. These things are not inherently, that I mentioned, they're not inherently sinful, understand that. But they certainly can become sinful when we look to those things to fix us, when we look to those things to meet the need that only Christ can meet. It's called idolatry. And the world wants you to buy into it. The world wants to fix your problems with these things. And they never last. They never make you whole. Cheap parlor tricks at best, I suppose. And so that's the challenge that we have to be on guard of, that we have to battle against, that we have to be prepared for. So then we come to the apex verse, verse 32 certainly is the apex verse. It's probably one you've heard numerous times. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. 
Well, let me preface before we begin to exegete this passage and unpack it. Jesus is not about giving cheap biblical advice. Like, notice, like, at no time in this story is Jesus like, oh, you're, you're really, like, worried about this? Oh, dude, just, just have more faith, man. You just got to have more faith. You just got to believe. Like, just almost like as if he's some motivational speaker just trying to pump them up. Just got to have more faith, man! I've met so many people. Pastors, chaplains, colleagues who say that. Drives me nuts! It's this cheap, ten-cent Christianity. Nothing more than that. Oh, you just got to have more faith. Man, I'm really going through this really this big thing in my life. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm worried. Oh, just have more faith. Like, shut up! I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. I really am. Jesus doesn't try to do that, guys. He doesn't try to do that. Jesus' antidote to fear, worry, and anxiety is not to give them some cheap, ten-cent Christianese advice, but rather to show them something bigger than their fear. Jesus' antidote to his disciples' fear, worry, and anxiety is to show them something bigger than their fear, than their anxiety. Understand that. Look for that. See that. So you think, okay, keeping that in mind, it's a strange thing to say to his disciples. Strange, kind of a strange thing, right? Fear not, little flock. Like, what's up with that? He's addressing his disciples, and yet he's calling them little flock. Weird, maybe. But step back, think about it. Well, what's a flock? Well, a flock, they're sheep. And what are sheep? Well, sheep are kind of small, kind of insignificant. They're kind of foolish, to put it nicely, at times. They are. You say, okay, well, understanding that to be true, why call them little flock? And the answer is, because it's true. It is the nature of why they're afraid. He calls them little flock because it's true. It's the nature of why they're afraid. If you're big and strong and powerful, you're not afraid. You feel in charge. That's why he says, fear not little flock versus fear not little Tyrannosaurus Rex. He calls them little flock because it's true. And it's the nature of why they're afraid. And so there's implications here. If they are his flock, if they are sheep, the implications is that there is a shepherd. And what are shepherds? Well, shepherds shepherds look after the sheep. More so, shepherds know how the sheep are doing. Shepherds know how they're doing. Oh, no one else in this room might have any idea what's really going on in your life right now. But the shepherd does. He knows the hurts. He knows the pains. He knows the concerns. He knows. It's the shepherd's job to know. He knows. And that's good news for the sheep who are prone to worry and fear and anxiety. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This imagery, the second, I think, observation here, we have a father. We have a father. Sang a song about 
the Father. And I realize that sometimes, sometimes this image, this illustration of a father, sometimes it can be lost, especially if you didn't have a father. Maybe your dad, he's not a Christian, like, like my dad is not a Christian. Or maybe your dad was just mean to you. Or abusive. Maybe physically. Maybe sexually. Maybe verbally. And so we're talking about father. It's, it's hard sometimes to bridge that but we have a Father who loves to give to us. Make no mistake about it. Not sell, not trade, give. We have a Father that loves to give to us. Like, it makes His day to give to us. He loves to give to us. That's great. It's so great. And oh, by the way, it doesn't, doesn't give us cheap things. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom to give us the kingdom, and he did so at great cost to his only son, who lived the life we could not live, who died the death we should have died, who paid the price we could not afford to pay, and makes his day to give, though it cost him much. But yet there's one more observation here. If there's a kingdom, the implication, there's a king, and what are kings? They're strong, they're powerful, they're authoritative. Kings can make things happen. Kings can get it done. The sheep, maybe not so much. That's okay, because of who their king is. Oh, understand this. You've got a shepherd who knows your challenges, the hurts, the pains. You've got a father who loves to give. And you've got a king who can make things happen. Therefore... No fear. Therefore, you don't have to be paralyzed to anxiety or worry. Understand this. Get this. See this. Jesus' antidote is to show His disciples something, namely God, show them something bigger than their fear, bigger than their worry, bigger than their anxiety. That's what He's doing. He's not saying, oh yeah, that's really not that big of a deal what you're going through, what you're dealing with. He's saying, let me show you something bigger. Let me show you something that can crush that problem that seems uncrushable in your life right now. (laughs) And so he goes on, the final two verses. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. And with a treasure in the heavens, it does not fail. Where no thief approaches... No moth destroys, or your treasure is there, will your heart be also? Jesus gives us an example of two types of treasure. Two types. You like investing? You want some good investment advice? He's got it right here. Two types of treasure temporary treasures, eternal treasures. Temporary treasures are characterized by growing old, by failing, by being. St- Stolen by being destroyed. And contrasting that is these eternal treasures, which don't do any of those things, which really makes them ideal versus the temporary ones. And then he makes it very clear. The way in which you get, the way in which you get these treasures, probably a better way to say that, the way in which you give evidence that you actually have these treasures 
the eternal treasure is by being characterized by generosity, by being the sort of person that our Father is to us that we see in verse 32. And who is that Father? He's the one that loves to give. This is not a call to poverty. This is not a call to live in the lowest tax bracket. It's not. This is a call to be the sort of person that our Father is. He loves to give. It makes his day to give. He's given us the very best thing, namely the kingdom, namely himself, namely his son. He's done that. Let me be really clear. Not wrong. Not wrong to have things. Not wrong to have stuff. But it just becomes wrong when we hold on to those things so tightly that we're unable to be the generous sort of person that our father is. Not wrong to have things. Just hold them like this. Hold that relationship like this. Hold that dollar like this. Hold that job like this. Hold that career like this. Whatever it is, hold it like this. Not wrong to have them. But depending on how we are holding them, it definitely can become wrong. What's the premise? We're dealing with fear. We're dealing with anxiety. We're dealing with worry. And what happens? Well, in the midst of our fear, our anxiety, and our worry, and our desire to want to have security, our desire to be rid of those sorts of feelings, what happens is, is we become reluctant to be the generous person that Jesus wants us to be. You want to listen right now. As a result, we hold on too tightly because we're afraid of not having them. Not wrong to have the relationship, have the dollar, have the whatever thing. It just becomes wrong when we go from holding them like this to like this, right? All the world is chasing after these things, right? Need more money? Get more money, right? Get a job, get a better job. You're lonely? Get a relationship, right? And so the world's advice is grab these things. He's saying, no, don't, don't. That's the difference, right, between holding something like this and like this. Because it's like, well, I can't let it go, right? Because if I let that relationship go, that's kind of a terrifying thought that I might be single. And so i got to hold on to that. I can't let it go. Or that dollar, or whatever it is, I can't let it go. Because if I let it go, then that might kick in my anxiety and my fear. Because the only thing kind of preventing that, acting as that buffer right now, is that thing I'm holding on to. And I can't let it go. But you have to let it go. You have to. Because what you cling to and what you hold on to reveals where your treasure is, reveals what your treasure is, reveals who your treasure is. It does. You gotta let it go, Christians. Not wrong to have things, people. Just hold them like this. Open-handed. You don't, you don't have to bare-knuckle hold on to them for fear of what might happen if you don't have them anymore. That's okay. And it's not okay. It really is. Why? Because of what did we hear in verse 32? For it's our Father's good pleasure to give to us the kingdom. Whatever we lose in this life is but a drop of what we've already gained. Like Jesus has already given to us the very best thing that He can give to us. There's nothing you have that you might be holding on to 
that's better in a long shot compared to what he's already given to you, namely his son. He is more valuable. He is more beautiful. He is more enjoyable, more soul-satisfying than anything else this world has to offer you. And yet there's the temptation to cling so tightly, to hold on so tight for fear. For fear. Well, what might happen if I don't have that person, that thing, that dollar, whatever it is? But you've got to let it go because the person who's unable to let it go reveals what their treasure is. I don't care how many Bible verses you know. I don't care how many back-to-back consecutive years you attended then served at vacation Bible school. The person who can't let it go reveals that their treasure is not Jesus. Their treasure is not Christ. Their treasure is something else. As we try this balancing act between living with a foot in this world and in the world to come, like, don't do that. Like, he's enough. Like, he's better. He's better. And 10,000 times over and over again than anything the world can offer, than anything the world can give. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen. Right? But, but Joe, if I hold it open-handed, it might get taken away. It might leave. It's okay. Because he's already given you the best thing. Himself, his son. We have to be this person that holds it open-handed. We have to be the person. Because if not, we give evidence, or rather lack thereof, that he's not actually our treasure. Despite how many times you rededicated your life, despite how many times you asked Jesus to come into your heart, you give evidence that he's not really your treasure and that you really don't know him. Jesus' antidote to fear is not cheap 10 cents advice like have more faith. Jesus' antidote to fear is to show his disciples something bigger, something better than their fear, than their worry, than their anxiety. He takes care of the grass. Guys, cows eat grass. Pretty insignificant. He takes care of the grass, less valuable than lilies, takes care of the lilies, less valuable than the birds, takes care of the birds, less valuable than each and every single one of you. Therefore, it stands to reason, he's got you. He's got you. He's got you. He's going to take care of you. Do you not know that you have a shepherd who knows your challenges? You have a father who loves to give to you? He's given his son. There's nothing better, nothing that can top that. Oh, by the way, you've got a king who can make things happen. Good news. Good news for the little sheep. Good news for his disciples. Good news for us. But all of this means absolutely nothing if you're not actually one of his disciples, if you're not actually part of his flock, if you don't actually know him in this way, if he's not your greatest treasure. At that point, this application really falls apart. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those who love and treasure him above anything else. Oh, they struggle. They do, just like us. 
And so let me be clear, like if you don't know like Jesus in that way, if you're not truly one of his followers or his disciples, oh, that you might, I would implore you, that you might bow the knee to him as the king, that you might place your faith in him as the one and the only one who can save you from the wrath to come. Because he was the one that lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. He paid the price we could not afford to pay. We don't have to be crippled to fear, anxiety, and worry. That's why I memorized Luke 12. Because preaching this passage, preaching this text twice a year, isn't enough for me. I need to be able to preach it to myself just about every day. I need that. Joe Decreon needs to hear these words just about every day. Or have someone else tell me. I imagine you're not a whole lot different. So as the band comes, I want to pray for us right now, guys. We love you because you first loved us. I hope that never gets boring to our ears, ever. I thank you, God, that you are bigger than any fear, anxiety, or worrisome mountain that we're facing in our life to remember that you're bigger, you're bigger, you're bigger, and you're better. Take care of the grass. You take care of the lilies. You take care of the birds. God, like, help us to get that. Help us not to forget that. To see you that way. To to drink deeply from the words on this page. Help us to remember these, these words, your words. I pray that we might experience the theology of these words, your words. We love you, Jesus. Amen.